Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. It's true. Uh, this is going to be a fun series, I think, and I have literally been looking forward to it for, well, since 2018. It occurred to me back in 2018 that why would you want to have a series called uh, 2020 Vision in the year 2020, like most other churches are doing, <laughs> when you could have something that is better than 2020. And um, that's the title of our series, Better Than 2020, and we're going to talk about the vision of our church for sure over the next couple of weeks, um, but we're also going to get a really good dose of Bible as we go through these different topics, as we go through uh Coming to the place of, you know, the why. Why do we do this? Why are we here? Why do we gather? Why do we bother? Um, and I think this morning we need to start with a very basic understanding of some of the most basic principles that will, uh, well, I could say it in the negative way, they'll never lead you the wrong way. When you have the right principles, and, and that's based in this reality. Jesus explained to people in the book of Matthew, uh, actually we have this verse for you, Matthew 6, chapter 22. This is what Jesus was teaching people. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body, so then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. And when we're talking about uh, a vision, not just in terms of physical how your eye works, which by the way is one of the most amazing, miraculous things that God ever did. I mean, we can look at all of creation. I think a blade of grass and how it somehow converts solar energy into carbon energy. And, and I mean, it's just, it's phenomenal uh, what a blade of grass can do. And then you consider something as complex as the human eye. I mean, what, what a ridiculously amazing God that, that resides over us, that created us, that brought us to be. And um, I guess... I could start by saying my eyes, I've always had pretty good eyesight myself. Uh, I wear glasses sometimes when I drive at night uh, because I remember to bring them for driving at night. Other times I don't wear them. Sometimes I wear them in the day if I get tired or fatigued. I don't really have a lot of problems with my eyes. I have a very minor uh, astigmatism, but uh, I don't really need to wear glasses, but I do because it makes me look cooler sometimes. Uh, I find that wearing glasses at night when I'm driving in a place I don't know is especially helpful because the signs just aren't blurry green and white. They're actually legible to me, and that's, that's important when you're trying to, you know, I can see other cars coming in my lane, so we're good. But following directions uh, without my glasses from time to time uh, is frustrating. Um, when I turned 40, the month that I turned 40, I went to see my optometrist. And um, I believe she didn't even look at my chart, but she said she's looking into my eyes through the, uh, the stethoscope for your eyes. You know, whatever. The, whatever the op, let's call it the ophthoscope. I don't know. I don't know what it's called. Um, I don't think we have any eye doctors in our church yet either. So for those of you who are in medicine, you could try recruiting some, thanks. Um, anyway, so I turned 40. I'm in there. She's looking into my eyes, and she nonchalantly, jokingly, kind of uh, smart-buttedly says to me, you turned 40, didn't you? And I'm like, well, yeah, you're, you're a doctor. Good for you. Yeah, I just turned 40. And she said, it's amazing because it's pretty typical in a man's eyes at 40. There's some changes we can almost always see. And so was, that was kind of depressing for me on top of all the other feelings you feel when you turn 40. Kids are growing up. You know, you're not able to lose weight or stretch the way you used to. You're, you're just a lot of things change and, and start to get different for the rest of your life. And I feel a little bit, you know, like, God, it's unfair because my wife, lovely as she is, doesn't need to wear glasses. And to 
her credit. Maybe this is to her discredit. I'm not sure. Um, she desperately wants to wear glasses. And so, well, I shouldn't say that. She desperately wants to have glasses that are paid for by our health benefits. And for that, she would need a prescription. And in that same appointment, we were at the appointment, I think it was on the same day or, or very close to each other. <coughs> her doctor, my, our doctor said to her, Amy, I would love to be able to help you get glasses, but, but I can't. Oh, she's qualifying this now that they were sunglasses specifically. She wanted someone else to pay for. Um, <laughs> her doctor said, I can't give you anything. Like, I can't fudge the numbers. I, I can do nothing for you. Your eyesight is beyond perfect. And uh, I'm sorry, but if you want sunglasses, you're not going to be able to have prescription sunglasses. There's nothing we can do for you. And so Amy actually has vision that is better than 2020. And... Um, on, on that note, I think we'll say this. Most of us don't often have the luxury or the benefit or the heritage to have 2020 vision spiritually, let alone better than 2020 vision as it, as it pertains to the spiritual life. And what we actually see, as it says in the Bible, is a dim reflection from a mirror. Um, the old King James Version said, we see through a glass dimly, but then Bible scholars were getting together and having a hard time deciding if, if they had glass. And looking at the Greek, it, it refers more to like a mirror. But whether it's a mirror or glass doesn't really matter. What we see spiritually in ourselves when we gaze into that reflective surface or when we peer into the mysteries of God's Word, we see through it with a lot of haze, with a lot of imperfection, with a lot of, a lot of problems, because that's, that's the only technology, if you will, that we have. We don't have a great lens to see the perfect will of God with. We don't have a great lens uh, to be able to see what righteousness should really be like, because we're tainted by our sin, and we're tainted by the curse of sin in this world, and that we have to live in the presence of sin and sickness and death for the whole time that we're here, even though we're delivered from the penalty and the power of those three things. <clears throat> but... What we do have, it was 1 Corinthians 13, 12, by the way, we see through a mirror, we see as if in a mirror dimly. Um, the neat thing that happens to us because of our astigmatism in the spirit, if we can call it that, is that we have this amazing relationship with a person of the Trinity called the Holy Spirit, who Jesus said would be sent to guide us into all truth. And the fact that I need spiritual glasses and you need spiritual glasses, or we need correction in how we see the heart of God, how we see his word, is really not just a problem for us, but it's an amazing opportunity to build a greater relationship with God. And I think it's important to keep that uh, in reach of all of our thinking as we go through this talk about vision over the next month. It takes a good effort from a lot of people. It takes a, a lot of effort from pastors, trust me I know, uh, teachers and other believers to help us receive the better understanding of God's love for us. <clears throat> I think that at a base level, every human being, of course, is wired to understand and comprehend the love of God. But there's a, there's a better way. And the, and the Bible talks about that. Let us show you a better way then. And so we need to consider that there's a better way. And that comes to us in the working of the body of Christ. It comes to us in the health and the function of the local church. And um, it's true that local churches can have weird people in them, but that doesn't actually make the local church weird. 
Okay, remember, weird people were weird before Jesus, and they're going to be weird afterwards, so don't hold it against the whole body, and certainly don't hold it against Jesus. Just celebrate that the person's weird. That's, that's going to be okay. They're going to make it to heaven, and, and you know, here's the deal. No matter how weird or sane you think you are or someone else is, when you get to the end of your life and you look down at your feet, you know what you're going to see? A lot of metal shavings. Because the whole process of our life is iron sharpening iron. And so from time to time when I get self-reflective, I look down and I can imagine the metal shavings at my feet from uh, rubbing up against the likes of you. And having friction and forming from you and your wonderfulness and your brokenness and your happiness and your sadness and all of these things that work together that God has promised to work together for us who love him and are called according to his purpose. Now... This is how the body of Christ is designed to work. Discipling, uh, accountability, care. And Jesus is the head of his body. But we are his body. And in his body, I see all kinds of people these days striving to wear spiritual glasses. Not because it helps them to see better, but because it helps them to look better in the eyes of other people. Now, we all have this friend, and we may even be that friend, who desperately wants to wear glasses even though we don't need a prescription. I'll just let that whole conversation kind of idle back to where you are, and you're going to wonder how my afternoon's going to be with my lovely, beautiful wife. She was looking for sunglasses, for the record. Here's the thing. People who run around trying to find the most fashionable spiritual eyeglasses or glasses for doctrine that only do it for how other people are going to receive them are missing out on the greatest part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. When your doctrine becomes a fashion statement instead of a way to better understand the heart of God, you have a major problem with vision in your life. When you associate yourself with this philosophy from this theologian or that philosophy with that theologian before you associate yourself with Jesus in any conversation, you are missing the main point of creation. You see, it's our association with Jesus that always must be first and foremost because that basic and simple association is the beginning of having vision that is better than 2020. And at the same time, spiritually or physically, you need glasses to help you see better, by all means, you should wear the glasses. Because as awkward as it is for a spiritual poser to run around claiming philosophy instead of a relationship with Jesus, it's just as bad for someone to run around saying, I have no need of anyone or anything. Jesus is good enough for me. And be missing out on the function of the body of Christ in their life. So both are crazy, and where we want to arrive is somewhere in the middle, which, by the way, is where Holy Spirit is. All right. So I I have three very basic points for you today, and it's about our eyes, our thoughts, and our hope. Everyone say, eyes, thoughts, hope. Okay, congratulations. You just figured out the title of the message. Let's read together in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. This is what it says. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. 
Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, fixing our eyes on Jesus does something profound and amazing. It fills us with Jesus. Because the eye is the lamp of the body. And so whatever the eye sees is what the body will be filled with. This is why, men and women, when you look at pornography, your life turns upside down over time. This is why when you lust after $90,000 pickup trucks at every red light in our city, you become corrupt in your soul and lose your joy. Because what you fill your eye with is what your body will be filled with. And so when the writer of Hebrews says to fix our eyes on Jesus, whether it's by his knowledge or by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't matter to me. Because it's the association with Jesus, the fixing of our eyes on Jesus that allows our physical life to be filled with Jesus. Now this is a very, very important reality for us. When we think about laying aside encumbrances and the sin which so easily entangles us, I fear that we forget about the word encumbrance and we just jump right to sin. And we tell ourselves that as long as we're not sinning, we're doing the right thing by Jesus. But that is not the truth. Because if you don't do the things you ought to do, it still counts against us as sin. So what about this word encumbrance? Well, what are some of the encumbrances we face in our, in our world today? Well, one of the first ones I think, I think about is what I've alluded to already. The, those people who want to wear spiritual glasses to look holy. Those who want to dive into philosophies. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to have conversations or to enjoy talking through doctrine. I, I enjoy that very much too. But it is not my identity, neither is it my association when it comes to Jesus. My eyes need to be fixed on Jesus, not doctrine. Because let me tell you something, when you're full of Jesus, good doctrine is not hard to find. When your eyes are full of Jesus, it's not hard to set aside those arguments and conversations and wayward ways of thinking that will pull you off the course he has for you. When you fix your eyes on Jesus, sin can become history in your life. Because you fix your eyes on Jesus. When you fix your eye on Jesus, your whole body becomes filled with Jesus. For the eye is the lamp of the body. So once we fixed our eyes on Jesus, we need to take another step. First step, fix your eyes on Jesus. And here's what the second step is. Hebrew 3, 1 to 6. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Everyone say, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Yeah, I'm going to make this, I'm putting the, the ball on the tee and giving you a big bat. You're going to knock this out of the park today, trust me. Fixing your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledged as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the Son over God's house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. 
Fixing our thoughts on Jesus is about what he wants to build in your life and in my life. Fixing our eyes on Jesus allows us to be filled with Jesus. The next step is to fix our thoughts on Jesus so that he, as the builder of everything, can build what he wants to in our lives. I don't know if you realize this, but simply just to leave church today saying, okay, I have fixed my eyes on Jesus. I've never taken my eyes off of him, so now I'm full of Jesus. What's the outcome of that? The outcome of that is, so what? Just because you've gazed on Jesus and have fixed your eyes on him and become full of Jesus means nothing if that's where you stay. In the same way as if Jesus would have just come to earth as a baby, grown up, died, ascended to heaven, and never said a word to us while he was here. If he didn't leave us the Holy Spirit, it would be to the same effect, being filled with Jesus but not doing anything about it, not allowing it to reconstruct who we are, what our life is, uh, into, the, into the image that he wants it to be. We would be missing out on the great honor that it is to be a spiritual house. Fixing our thoughts on Jesus allows us to understand what he wants to build. We can know what it means to trust him by how he works things out in our lives if we can fix our thoughts on Jesus. I don't know about you, but the number one place that I come under attack is not physical, it's not emotional. In fact, it's really not even spiritual. It's just mental. I can be as happy as can be. I can be distracted. I can be, I can be uh, listless. I can be daydreaming. And the attack doesn't come in the form of you know, physical pain all of a sudden. The attack typically doesn't come as depression right out of the blue. The attack doesn't come as all these other things we might associate with attacks that are not, uh, you know, not, not, not what we want to walk with in our life. But, but what's the one place? It always seems to start with a thought. When's the last time you were mad at your spouse? Okay, the last time aside from the last 15, 20 minutes. So this morning is your answer. And if you're not married, don't worry. You'll be plenty mad at your spouse one day. Um, and she'll deserve it, and so will you. And if you're mature and love each other, it'll only make you stronger, okay? Um, and that's true. Somebody tell me that's not true? Nobody? Okay, good. Um, see, fixing our thoughts on Jesus is an act of will. And what happens is, as you're sitting there daydreaming, working, whatever it is you're doing, bang your thumb with a hammer, whatever your situation is, and those thoughts come into you, what does it take to repel a thought? It takes an act of will to repel a thought. There is no other way to do it, is there? Does anybody have another way to repel a thought? You know, Trav Stagg, my good friend, is sitting over there, and I don't know, the devil comes beside him, whispers in his ear, as a thought, you're short. What, what can Trav do about that? Really, nothing, right? I mean, except by an act of his will, he can accept or reject a thought. And I know that for some of us in our situations today, that might seem like I'm oversimplifying it, but let me just assure you, I've walked through the depression you walked through. And so I know the power of a thought, but I also know the power of a will that is powered by the person of Jesus. 
And so it's important to remember that because we're full of Jesus, we actually have supernatural power, dunamis power, to be able to align ourselves and align our thinking by an act of our will with him. But we can't do that if we're not going to fix our thoughts on Jesus. We can be filled with Jesus by gazing on him, by fixing our eyes on him. And the thought can come, and we can simply bow to the thought. The Bible says to take every thought captive as if by spear point in the Greek. It's not just take it captive. It doesn't say take every thought captive, hold it close to your heart, and wrestle with it, and make sure it gets its guck all over you. That's not what Scripture teaches. Scripture teaches take every thought captive to the obedience of God's word by spear point. That means you really don't have to let it that close to you. You know, in biblical times, the average spear was maybe somewhere between six and eight feet long. And, of course, they could be longer as, as warfare developed or, or you know, as the tactics changed, so did the weaponry. But my point is that you don't have to let thoughts come right in. You can take them captive as if by spear point and then by an act of your will make the thought obedient to what Jesus says. It's an act of your will that allows you and I to live under the authority that Jesus already has in our life. Let me just help you understand this real quick. All over our city right now, there are speed limits. Put up your hand if you understand speed limits. Well, that's a bad way to say it. I don't understand a lot of speed limits. And I certainly don't understand why everyone has to drive 40 in a 70 zone. <clears throat> Yeah, amen. Somebody else say amen. I know there's more than two or three that bear witness to that this morning. God bless them, but please just stay home on the snowy days if that's the case, right? I mean, come on. Winter tires, four-wheel drive there. You are an overcomer. You can drive. Oh, I'm glad I got that off my chest. Um, but back to more important things right now. Um, all these speed limits are around us at all times. How many of you drive over or under the speed limit from time to time. Pleading the fifth is good. That's fine because you can plead the fifth and it will still make the point. See, whether or not you drive over, under, or on the speed limit, is the speed limit still in authority? Yeah, it is, isn't it? And the moment you don't think that, they will photo radar you or someone will pull you over and write you a ticket to remind you that while you can do whatever you want, you are still always under the authority of that law. And this is why I'm saying to you that there's a, there's a, there's a point of, of difference that we need to make here to understand this. Fixing our thoughts on Jesus is an act of our will that allows us to live under his authority. Not because his authority is, is ineffective or powerless, because it's always there. His authority over us is always there whether we drive the speed limit or not. What it does allow us to do, though, is live with joy and peace, knowing we're under his authority and that we are powered by his grace because of that. Um, so taking efforts to steer our thoughts is a step to having better than 2020 vision. So we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. Then we need to fix our thoughts on Jesus. Now, lastly, there's something else we have to do if we want to have vision that will be better than 2020 for this coming year, for the rest of our life, for the situation you're facing today. 
First Peter 1, 13 to 16 contains the key. And it says, therefore, prepare your minds for action, keep sober in spirit, and fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Everyone say, fix your hope. Fix your hope on Jesus. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all of your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. See, fixing our hope on on grace, the grace that is in Jesus, can really only bear fruit once we have fixed our eyes and fixed our thoughts on Jesus. Grace is the divine and unmerited favor from God, and it falls on every human being in creation. But there's a difference in how that effect plays out in our life. See, the grace of God falls on the sinner and the saint in the same way, but two drastically different results are going to be seen in the outcomes of their lives. Grace can only truly be lived out in the reality of our life if our eyes are focused on Jesus and if we are turning our thoughts to Jesus. Grace that comes on us when we refuse to turn our eyes to Jesus, when we refuse to place our thoughts on Jesus, is grace that sin may abound. These are important things to remember. I don't know if it occurred to you, but while we read through 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you with the revelation of Jesus, and then it goes on to talk to you about being obedient as a child, not to conform to the former lust, which are yours in ignorance, but act holy and be holy, because he is holy, so be holy. The function of grace in our lives is not to cover sin, but to empower us for the overcoming of sin. And when we get into these philosophical doctrines that people want to argue, well, that church preaches too much grace. Listen, no church could ever preach enough grace. Now, whether or not you understand what grace is can be an entirely different conversation. But let me tell you this. If you you fix your eyes on Jesus and you fix your thoughts on Jesus, you will burn more grace than a Hercules aircraft does in the army. You will burn grace when you draw every breath. You will burn grace every time you drive across the city at 40 kilometers an hour in a 70 zone. Help us, Jesus. You will burn grace every time your children disobey you. You will burn grace every time someone wrongs you. You will burn grace every time you have a negative thought about yourself that is not aligned with what the Spirit of God says about you. You will burn grace in every moment of every day for the rest of your life if your eyes and your thoughts are fixed on Jesus. And that's why I say grace is rather pointless in the life of any human being until we have bent our will to Jesus. Now thank God that it falls on all of us. Because it is by grace that we have been saved through faith, not of our works. That's important. But if we only fix our eyes on Jesus and never do anything with it, what was the point? And if you only fix your eyes on Jesus and then just bend your will to his will and become a a nominally good Christian because you're aligned with his will and do nothing more, what's the point? Listen, having great vision will require you to burn more grace than you ever have before. Having better vision than 2020 
for us as a church is going to cause us to need to burn more grace than ever before. Having better than 2020 vision for your marriage? Oh my gosh. That is going to cost you so much grace, but here's the good news. It doesn't cost you anything to burn God's grace for the right purpose. Because his grace is his divine and unmerited favor in your life. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Why? Well, because of grace. Because grace is the fuel that allows me to do all things in Christ. You can imagine right now in this moment something that you know you need to tackle. Something that the Holy Spirit has talked to you about, maybe your husband or wife or your parent has talked to you about that needs to have correction. I just want to tell you this morning, if you will fix your eyes on Jesus, if you will fix your thoughts on Jesus, and then you will fix your hope on his grace in your life, you are going to be able to do something amazing with that problem. I love this about this passage, and I love this specifically about the word hope. I love that that word hope always places the future in mind. Nobody hopes for the past. You know, who said that January 1st at 12.01 a.m.? You know, I really hope 2019 went better than I thought it did. <laughs> Anybody say that? Anybody turn to your wife, give her a kiss and say, you know, I, I just, I really hope last year was good for you. Not, not, even if we say something like that, what, what are we really saying? I'm hoping it's going to be better this year. I'm hoping it's going to be better in the future. And that word hope is powerful because hope always bears your future in mind. And so when the, when the apostle writes this to us, when, when the apostle Peter is writing this to us and he invites us to fix our hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Some people, some scholars would, would take all of this passage and dump it into end times doctrine. Say, one day Jesus is going to come back, and that's when grace is going to fall on you. That's not true. That, that doesn't align with the whole counsel of God's word. I got up this morning, and as we were driving to church, I was a little grouchy. But as we were driving south and having to turn east to come across town, I, I turned west to come across town, I looked to the east, and what did I see? I saw one of the most brilliant Alberta cold north sunrises you're going to see. The colors were phenomenal. They were beautiful. They were amazing. And what was I reminded of? I was reminded of God's mercy and his grace and hope for the future and everything that he can do if I just make myself a willing vessel, a willing participant with the Holy Spirit. See, sadly, we want to do other things first. We want grace first. You know, God, I'm going to stop, I don't know, drinking. You just, if you just give me the grace to stop drinking, you want to know how to stop drinking? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Then fix your thoughts on Jesus. And allow his grace then to be your hope. And you'll be waging an entirely different warfare over that sin that so easily beset you. Your present will become your past when you place his hope and his grace in your future. We often want grace first. We want great first. 
we want to see this or we want to see that. But Jesus did not ask anyone to follow him with the great demonstration of miracles, did he? The people who Jesus asked to follow him were very few. We know about the disciples. And what did he promise the disciples? Healing, miracles? No. You're fishing for fish. Come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. Woohoo. It wasn't cool to be called to be an evangelist back then, just so you know. There, there, was, there was no school. There was no televangelist. There was no TV program you were going to get on. That was a what-the-heck moment for the disciples. What? Fishers of... Okay, we're going. How about the rich young ruler? Yeah, Jesus promised him a TV career and a lot of movies and riches, right? No, Jesus said, go and give everything you have to the poor and come and follow me. And from these stories in the New Testament, it doesn't appear to me that we've learned the lesson that the Bible tries to teach us. Grace is future. Grace is hope. Grace is what's coming after we submit. Because grace before you submitted to Christ means very little. It's just going to get you to Christ. Are you catching this? The nuances might seem subtle in Scripture, but I want you to know this morning they're screaming at us from the living Word of God. I love that hope always has the future in mind. In summary, I'm going to have Pastor Amy come and close the service. If you want clear eyes, if you want clear vision, and, and this church, we, we actually demand it. For all of our leaders, we're not, we're not just nicely asking, hey, would you just sharpen your vision for this year? We're, 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 placing, we're placing a burden on you. Because God's calling us to new and greater things. And so we're required to be better, to have better vision than the status quo. So I want you to remember these three things. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. And finally, fix your hope on the grace of God as Jesus is revealed to you day by day. Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.